everyone. This is Jamie Alibach coming at you on the Peppered Podcast, where I bring seasoned talk for food and beverage marketing and brand professionals. My guest on the show today is Chris Kirby, founder of Ithaca Cold Crafted. Uh, this first ever cold crafted hummus, um, it's not just another Me Too hummus. Uh, they use a cold pressure process instead of heat pasteurization, which keeps the nutrients you know, really fresh, the ingredients raw, it's uh, full of nutrients, incredibly f- flavorful. Um, but, you know, let's let's get right to the show. We'll talk to Chris about the brand and see what makes Ithaca Cold Crafted unique and, and what got him to where he is. Hey, Chris, welcome to the Pepper Podcast. Hey, Jamie, excited to be here. Thanks for having me and thanks for doing such a great job on that pitch there. It sounded like you practiced a little bit. <laughs> well, you know, this is this is the podcast business. You got to at least sound semi-pro. So anyway, let's let's just jump right into it, Chris. Um, you know, brand story is is important to consumers in this day and age. You know, that genuine, authentic story. And 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 the more the more authentic it is and more genuine it is, the more consumers are interested in it and they become kind of drawn to that brand um, and when you build that personal piece behind the story and behind the brand it even becomes more meaningful now I read a bit about about your brand about your journey where you came from but tell tell my listeners a little bit about how you got started you know as an entrepreneur how you launched the brand or even how you just became interested in hummus in general sure um, and I get that question all the time because I'm not of Middle Eastern descent or, or Mediterranean. And so people always want to want to know, why did you get into the hummus business? And, you know, I think I, I generally try to start with why did I get into the food business? And, you know, the answer is I've, I've always been in, in, in food, whether it's restaurants or, you know, starting out 14 years old, pure, peeling vegetables in the back of a restaurant and washing dishes. And, you know, so food has always been a really um, important part of my life. It's a passion of mine. But I got to the point in my restaurant career where I just kind of felt burnt out and I wanted to get more into business and, and have a bigger impact. And, you know, I've always loved getting the reaction from people when they taste something that I've prepared for them. And really, I was just looking for an outlet where I could get more of that, more reaction. And, and I looked to the the CPG space and um, kind of had to take a step back after I got out of the restaurant business and plot my course. And so moved back in with the family, went to community college for about a year. And then fortunately, I I got good grades at at the local community college and I was able to get into the hotel school at Cornell, where I really learned about the fundamentals of business and how businesses work. And I took that opportunity as a 27-year-old undergrad, basically, um, when I first moved up to Ithaca, New York, where Cornell is, I took that opportunity to um, start my business while I was in school. Um, So I got up to Ithaca, walked into the local co-op up there, which is called Green Star Co-op, and I said to myself, I'm going to look for a gap in the marketplace locally here. Um, what, what could I make locally that I know is going to work in this market? And I know I can do a better job of what's on the shelf today. And I landed on hummus and continue to do more and more research about the category and really like the category. It's big, it's growing. There's, um, you know, a couple of really large competitors, but I've always felt like there's an opportunity in the category to push the the limit and the boundary and the standard in terms of quality and freshness. And, um, so that's really what attracted me to the category. And, and I started small, I started at the Ithaca farmer's market and, um, we can get more into, to how the business, uh, grew in a second. But, you know, I started with, a, I like to say a five gallon bucket and an ice cream scoop, like a lot of food entrepreneurs do very small and a little rented kitchen. And, did things the right way. And, and I think a big key to our success today, if you fast forward, is maintaining the standards that I started with. You know, what, what did the people at the farmer's market love about our product? Um, we, we felt, I felt that it was critical that we maintain all of those things to keep our product uh, special and different. Yeah, I love it. You know, I love it when a brand can really 
bring to the table for consumers a, a, a true story like that. I mean, it's great. People, people love it, and I think it's one of the things that draws people to brands and really makes loyal consumers out of them where they're, they're willing to, to go out of their way to buy it and find it. They're willing to pay more, and they're willing to be loyal to that, to that brand. Now, I know Wegmans was your first retail experience in, in getting in there. How, how did you initially cut through the clutter uh, with, with Wegmans and get them to, to, to give you that break and, and take you in? I mean, I know it's part of their culture that they want to work with, with, with local brands, but I also know, you know, hundreds of other brands that would love that opportunity to get in there that haven't been able to do it. So how did you, how did you, make, that, how did you make that happen? I think the quality of our product um, really stood out. I think the authentic story that you just kind of alluded to certainly stood out. And one of the things that, um, you know, I've always loved about Wegmans is they are a very food-forward organization. And so starting out in upstate New York, Wegmans is right in your backyard, was right in our backyard there. And it was a big goal of mine. I mean, I was at the farmer's market and doing really well and, and kind of felt like, man, if I could get into Wegmans, that would just be a dream come true as our first major retailer. And so I went, I ended up, I, I did have some people from, from the Wegmans um, buying team come to our booth expressed a lot of interest at the farmer's market. They had heard that there was this local hummus brand and we were selling it to Ithaca and the Syracuse farmer's markets and Rochester farmer's markets. Um, and so I, I got a lot of interest from them just kind of uh, at the market. So and they then, actually caught wind of the word of mouth in, in the community? That's right. Oh, that's, that's, that's super cool. Yep. So then I, I went to work with a couple of the chefs, the regional chefs at Wegmans and really got them involved in how do I take this from a product that's going to do, you know, that's being sold at a farmer's market to something that's going to work on a store shelf. And so I got them involved in the process of what I would say is the first step of commercializing the product from what I was making in my own kitchen. And so bringing them into that really, I feel, I feel like made them feel like we're going to be a part of this success. Um, and ultimately, I, I, they let me into one store. They let me into the Ithaca Wegmans, and I was self-distributing to that store. And our team of farmers market uh, workers and salespeople basically all went to that store, and, and we, they became a full-time demo team. And so for the first four weeks, we were in that initial uh, first Ithaca Wegmans we did so many demos, it was insane. And, and by the end of the first four weeks, we were selling over a thousand cups of, of hummus every week. Um, just, that's just one flavor. So it was pretty impressive um, growth in, in four weeks. And I was able to take that playbook and go back to the corporate buyer and say, look, I, I did it in one. I think I, I think I have the resources to do it in three more. Can we do three more? And I just built incrementally like that for the first year and a half until we were in all the Wegmans. That's that's awesome. You know, major props to um, to Wegmans on two things. One is, you know, you just don't see major retailers doing that sort of thing where they're coming out into the community and they're they have their their ears to what's going on out there and what what their local consumers want and what they're interested in. That's a that's a big big prop to them. But then also. When you're working closely with them, I mean, how many retailers out there, one, would do that, but then, two, if they did it, they would say, hey, you know what, I want you to private label this for us. <laughs> so that's, oh, that's, yeah. that's great, great that they did that. So I talked a little bit about this on the intro, and you kind of alluded to it a little bit on your, your build-up story for the brand, but, but what is it that, that, that makes Ithaca Cold Crafted so different? What is it that makes it distinctive from the others? What is it that drew kind of Wegmans to the, to the table and said, hey, this is different than the other hummus that we have in here and we'd like to have it in? What, it is, it, what is it about your brand? Well, there's two things about the, about the product, uh, really, that, that are, that's completely different. And, I mean, the process and the, the ingredients that we use are, are fundamentally different than anyone else in the category. Um, and that was really built out of my desire to keep the product exactly the same as it was the first day at the farmer's market. Um, everybody knows that fresh ingredients taste better. 
that but the problem is that I saw was that no one commercially was really using fresh ingredients or really had figured out how to use an ingredient as fresh as cold pressed lemon juice in a food product. Um, there's a massive benefit in terms of flavor if you can figure that out. And over the last five years, that's really what we've been able to accomplish. Um, as I said, what, what made our product stand out to customers at the farmer's market was the fact that it was being made with cold-pressed lemon juice, fresh whole cloves of garlic, chickpeas that we soak and cook ourselves. So, I mean, we're really doing everything at the peak of freshness. And for a long time, that meant that we had to deal with a shelf life that was 14 days or 21 days or some something that's certainly not commercially viable. And so I went through quite a journey of my initial kitchen that I rented to a 10,000 square foot facility that I built out and designed and, and operated for about three years and ultimately um, ended up partnering with a great manufacturer in Rochester, New York, who had just bought this technology um, machine called a high pressure processing machine, HPP. And what ended up happening was Wegmans, actually, we're still very close. We have always had a very close relationship with Wegmans. Wegmans ended up introducing me to this manufacturer. And they said, hey, you know, your, your product is, is great. And we feel like this could really be a, a great solution for your shelf life. And it's going to allow you to use all the ingredients that you like to use in your product. And um, it took about a year, but I ultimately convinced that manufacturer to buy a lot of our equipment, move it into their facility and um, manufacture our product for us and then use the HPP process to give us the shelf life that, that we have today. That's some great insight. Look, I've, I've worked with, uh, over the years, literally hundreds of, of emerging brands and, and tons of great food ideas and concepts. You know, but the reality that I have seen is that many of them, one, they never make it onto shelf. And if they do, most of them fail. So there, there's a broad spectrum of reasons for this that I've talked about many times in the show, but many of them have lots of common problems. And one of them you just talked about a little bit there is this idea of production scale up. And, and that, you know, you can come up with a great idea in your kitchen or even work with, you know, you know, a food development group to come up with a great concept. But then going from that idea of that, of those one-off products into small batch production and then into, into, you know, major manufacturing it is so difficult not to lose what makes the product distinctive and unique and taste great and have all of that, that, that clean label uh, ingredients that, that, that people are looking for. Um, did you run into other problems like that when, when you, were, you were scaling up in, in production and how did you overcome them? Well, I, I did, certainly. I mean, it, it was a, it's a, a big challenge to maintain the authenticity of your formulas and as you scale up, um, huge challenge. And I'll just talk w about one particular story. I, I started, as, as I mentioned, in a very, very small kitchen that I rented from a summer camp in, in Ithaca and, um, worked out of that kitchen for about a year and a half. And knew that the business was picking up, I was going to need more capacity. And I did what I would recommend to most food entrepreneurs, which is I went out and, and talked to all of the manufacturers that made hummus. Um, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to build your own factory if someone else has the capacity to do what you're, what you want to do. Um, but unfortunately for me, when I did that, um, all of those manufacturers tried to alter or change the recipe in some way. Most, most hummus is pasteurized with heat. Um, most people don't know that, but all of these manufacturers use the pasteurization step. They use potassium sorbate. They told me that in order to squeeze cold pressed lemon juice, it was going to be way too expensive. And so you know, I, I kind of got a lot of I got turned down by a lot of these manufacturers and, and the ones that were willing to take the business and um, 
wanted to to alter the recipe, I I just I turned them down. You know, so it was as just an entrepreneur. You know, I love I always love hearing those words. I can't do that. You know, because that just that just kind of gets my dander up even more to say, yeah, there's got to be a way. So I'm sure that's kind of how you were feeling when when they were saying, no, no, we can't do it that way, Chris. Oh, I mean, it was it was equal parts um, disappointment. Yeah, like oh, I, I wish that would have worked out, but but also excitement because it's like, well, that's telling me that my point of difference is challenging for large scale manufacturers to replicate. And so I knew that if I could keep pushing and really um, change the status quo that I that I had something. And that's that's one of those forms of entrepreneurial currency that really fuels you to keep going. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So, you know, another challenge that brands face in addition to that, that, that production scale up, taking an idea and really getting a product that they can go to market with is, is distribution. Um, we talked a little bit about this that you got into Wegmans. What are, what are some other points of distribution that you've gotten and what, what were some, some hurdles that you hit along the way in, in getting into there? Well, um, we, we did start with Wegmans, and I would say on a parallel path, we were working on just hustling up and down the street in Metro New York and getting into all of the Whole Foods store by store. So those are really our first two targets, um, you know, the best in the business. How do we get into Wegmans, Whole Foods, and really do a great job there? And luckily, um, between our buyers at both um, Wegmans and, and Whole Foods in the Northeast region, we have a lot of support. And so those were our first two for the first year and a half of being in retail. We focused exclusively on on those. And then as I started started to try to, you know, expand the selling story in those days was really about passion and focus, you know, because you don't have the resources and the exposure that you need to sell to some of the bigger guys. And so you know, Wegmans, Whole Foods, a lot of co-ops and, and independently owned grocery stores in the Northeast, New England and Mid-Atlantic. And then um, recently we've started to, in our in our home market, which is the Northeast or the East Coast, we've started to try to cross over into more conventional and test that. And I mean, I feel strongly that to win in this category, you need to understand how to win in conventional. And so last year we opened a lot of conventional accounts like ShopRite, Stop and Shop, Big Y, um, <clears throat> Publix was a big, big hit for us in 2018. We got into all 1,200 locations. And um, so today we're in about 3,000 stores, but started off inch wide, mile deep, as they say, really trying to own um, our home, our home market and the retailers that we knew we wanted to have a strong partnership with. Yeah, that's great. I mean, distribution has its challenges in and of itself and, you know, getting it and then also being able to keep up with the supply um, to the retailers. But, you know, trial, getting trial and, and, and usage for your product and, and getting consumers to come back and continue to use it, moving product off the shelf, in other words, and gaining that, gaining that loyalty. I, I think, you know, what, I, what I've seen with many brands is, that, that, that stores like Wegmans and, and Whole Foods, consumers are so much more predispositioned to try new things. So they like to – those stores are great for exploratory consumers, and, and you can get a lot of trial by just being there. When you start getting more out into mainstream, it becomes a bit more difficult to move, move product off the shelves and to gain that trial. Have you, have you experienced any of that in, in, in your mainstream distribution at all? And if so, how, how are you moving product off the shelf? We try everything. I mean, we try a lot of different tactics to do that because that is the most important thing to look at in a business like this is what is your velocity per store? That's the only thing that really matters. Um, in my opinion. And initially it was just sending people in and doing tons and tons of demos and getting the product in people's mouths. And that is very, very effective. But, um, you know, as you grow, I think you, you try to look for more cost effective ways to drive trial. Um, and so now we, we do, we do a lot. We, we have a fairly robust, um, couponing, program that we've put together to deliver 
high value coupons and dollar off coupons digitally to consumers in a targeted fashion. Um, we have a fairly um, aggressive promotional um, budget that we use with each one of our accounts so that we can get deals on the shelf. Uh, hummus is a, is a heavily promoted category. That's something that over time we hope to change. Um, but you got to play the game and, and at the end of the day, you got to drive trial. And, um, so whether it's promotions, field marketing, PR influencer, um, couponing, uh, we're trying to build brand awareness and drive trial the product at, at the same speed. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a whole mix of different tactics that we use to try to do that. And we're always looking to, to try new things. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, I think couponing is, is a great way for you to maintain that integrity of your brand because, you know, when you, when you get sucked into that, 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 that retail or promotional piece where, you know, the buy one, get one type, type deal, it's so hard to get out of that. And you're right. Certain categories, you know, we work in a lot of categories where it has become so commoditized that consumers they 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 want that promotion they won't buy unless it's on that promotion and with a brand like yours where it is so different and and you really do have those points of distinction and differentiation consumers they are willing to pay more but when you give them that coupon it, you know it could be that one time deal to get them to try it and then they taste the difference and then they come back and they're certainly willing to pay more at, at, at full price for that, whereas you get sucked into that promotional aspect and it can be just a, a race to the bottom. Yeah, I think when people hear the word coupon, you know, it, it's not exactly the most the sexiest you know, marketing tactic out there. It's been around for a long time, but that tells you something. And Jamie, you're exactly right. We want to be very careful to not over promote our product and and train our consumers to buy on deal and it's a big conversation that I have with every one of our buyers, which is, you know, our vision for the category is to add dollars. You need to get out of the high low game a little bit. You know, you're not going to add dollars to the category selling buy one, get one and dollar ninety nine hummus. I mean, it's just it's just not you really want to premiumize what you're doing. And that's that's the value and the benefit that that our brand brings to a lot of the buyers that we work with. Exactly. Look, margin and profitability are, are important, and there are many brands, you know, they gain a certain level of success through distribution and trial, only to find out they're not making any money. In fact, sometimes they're losing money. Um, are you maintaining the kind of margins that you need to, to move forward? And if so, you know, how are you doing this? I mean, are there challenges along the way for this? Because this is a trap that a lot of emerging brands get stuck in. And, and what kind of advice could, could you give to, to other brands in this area? I would say that you absolutely want to be laser focused before you scale up. You want to be laser focused on creating a margin profile for your business that's going to be successful at scale. And to me, you know, that's, that's a, that's a contribution margin of 45 to 50%. You, you really need that to, um, promote and to market and to sell and to do all the things that a brand is going to need in order to grow. And we were fortunate because when I was self manufacturing, uh, we were, you know, kind of break even at best. Um, but when we partnered with Ladestri Foods, our, our manufacturer, it gave us the opportunity to really sit down and rework a lot of that and figure out how we could Im increase our margin profile to get to to that 45, 50%. And luckily, we were able to do that. And that's, um, that's really important. You, you, I, I feel a lot more confident scaling our brand now that we've gone from you know mid-30s to, to high-40s. In our in our margin, so let, let's talk in general a little bit about hummus. Now, now don't don't hang up on me and don't hold this against me, Chris. But you know, my company actually helped uh, launch and develop and build the the Sabra hummus brand, and I know that's that's uh, a big corporate America right now, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this is going back many years. So we we worked with them back in two thousand seven ish through through two thousand nine. Uh, but at the time, you know, one of the challenges back then was, you know, less than 10% of consumers even knew what, what hummus was. So, I mean, this was, this was a challenge because the folks that owned the company at the time, 
they, you know, they were talking about, you know, you can use this, you know, as, as a mayonnaise or, you know, put it on this or put it on that. You can use it in so many different ways. And we kept saying, you know, wait, you know, hold on. We got We got to really focus here on this because, you know, you're educating consumers here. and We can't throw all of this stuff at them at once. So one of the things that we really focused primarily on was dipping. And, and we knew, we did some research, and we found that consumers knew about, they encountered hummus for the first time either, one, at a restaurant, so in a food service situation, or two, it was at a party where somebody kind of brought something unique to the table. So there was a lot of challenges in the early days as far as educating people and getting them to try it and, 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 and so forth and so on. But, but those days are long gone now. I mean, it really is a commonplace now you know you open up a you know many refrigerators and you're going to find hummus there all the time that people are using it for snacking you know kids love it um what what has changed in your mind and your 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 perspective over the past 10 years and how how has it impacted you it sounds like i i owe you a little bit of a thank you um because that 10 percent awareness number is now it's 60 percent there's a there's a third of the u.s consumer that does not know what hummus is still today and i think having that giant in the category sabra uh they've really gone out and done a lot of the missionary work and that's been extremely helpful for us because sabra and a lot of the other companies that are well funded go out and do the education on the category uh, and, and get consumers in, intrigued and enticed. The only issue with that is if consumers try another product uh, in your category before they try yours, and based on that experience, they decide that they don't like the category, um, it can be detrimental. Um, and so I think we've got a little bit of both going on. Um, and that's how we that's how we source our customers. You know, we're either thinking about um, sourcing a, a consumer that is a current Sabra user that we want to educate about the unique benefits of our product compared to Sabra, or we're trying to bring someone back to the category who said, you know, I've tried a lot of the dollar ninety nine private label stuff out there. I'm not a huge fan, or I am a huge fan, but I just make it at home, you know, myself now. Um, so those are those are really the two consumer profiles that we're focused on bringing into to our world. Yeah, and look, that that is a super cool perspective. I mean, if you think about this for a second, I mean, ten years or so ago, there really wasn't even a category like this, and now it's grown to you know sixty plus percent of consumers are using it. To see that kind of growth, that kind of development in a category, and look, there was there was hummus long before, you know, Sabra came along. But, you know, they were always these kind of one-off, you know, brands in the natural products. Definitely wasn't mainstream. You never, you hardly ever saw it in mainstream supermarkets. And now you see it all over the place. And there's just dozens of different brands. But it's but it's cool that, that, that what's becoming or what has become a mature category, that someone like you can step in and put a completely different spin on it now. And, and you're bringing, you know, new consumers in that, that, that can experience hummus at a different level. And they may try, a, you know, a Sabre or a Tribe or any of these other more mainstream brands. And then they taste a product like yours and say, wow, this is more, you know, authentic, feels more like a homemade type. You know, you can taste the fresh. And then you look at the label and it's like, oh, wow, you know, this is this is a completely different different type of product. Yeah, that's the reaction we we go for, which is, you know, wow, you know, this tastes like it just came out of my blender at home. And now that I've had this, I'm a customer for life. Well, hey, look, I'm glad we were able to help you out along the way, at least in some small way. So Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. How so let, let's let's go to towards that that whole, you know, kind of clean eating and lifestyle trend that people are, are experiencing now and that there's so many brands out there that are bringing good food to the table, good whole foods. I mean, I mean, how, how has consumer eating trends and lifestyles impacted you and your brand and your ability to, to go to market with this, with this product? The healthier eating trends, real food ingredient trends, um, 
these are they're both things that drew me to the category in the first place because I, um, you know, frankly, I had a lot of people telling me I was crazy. You're going to disrupt the the hummus category. Good luck. There's like a hundred competitors, and none of them have been able to to do that. Um, but you know, as you mentioned earlier, it's only ten years. Really, it, the category has only been as big as it is for five, ten years. Um, and I knew that that trend for real ingredients, uh, would eventually collide with the trend for healthy, you know, healthier, nutritious types of food. And, and I saw hummus or a product like ours, at least in the category is sitting right there, wet, ready to, to welcome those consumers. Um, so, you know, those trends that, that we're seeing from consumers, um, around ingredients and, and, and healthier options, you know, really play right into, to our philosophy and, you know, the way that we want to show up in the world. So what, I mean, let's get, let's get down into the weeds then a little bit with that. So what is it about hummus that makes it appealing? What, what is it about it that that's better for you, to be honest? Well, chickpeas, first of all, are a great source of protein, um, fiber, and a lot of um, great, uh, you know, nutrients that, that are just good for your for your body. Um, and then when you take that a step further uh, and you compare something like a lemon juice concentrate and the the nutritional profile of a lemon lemon juice concentrate versus cold-pressed lemon juice or garlic powder versus a, a raw, um, clove of garlic. Um, you know, I think we just kind of take it, take it to the next level. And, um, especially because we're not pasteurizing our product with heat. Um, we're able to maintain a lot of the, the health benefits of the raw ingredients that, that go into our product. Yeah. Yeah. Process, process does matter. I mean, it is super important. I mean, I remember, uh, years ago, we worked with a company over in, in, in Greece, and, you know, one of their big things was olive oil. And, you know, they, they instilled in us that, look, olive oil isn't just olive oil. You know, we, we cold press ours, which makes a huge difference. So you can't just say olive oil is a better for you when this is, is, is made completely different. And, 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 the, and the attributes and the quality of the process of how we make it is what makes it better for you. And if I'm hearing that from you, that's a big part of, of what, what you do is the process that what makes it better, not just the ingredients itself. Exactly. If we if we um, invested in great ingredients like like fresh lemons and fresh garlic and fresh chickpeas and all that good stuff and then blended all that stuff together and then just pasteurized it with heat, it would kind of defeat the purpose. And so, yes, it it really is um, one hand washes the other in that regard. Uh, If if you use HPP, but you're not using fresh ingredients, you're, you're kind of only getting half of the benefit. And if you use fresh ingredients and you're not using HPP, it's kind of the same story. It's the combination of both that makes our product what it is. Yep, big difference. Hey, shifting gears just a little bit, you recently rebranded uh, your product. And this is a big deal in the food and beverage CPG space. It's a costly uh, endeavor. Um, what did you do and why, why did you do it? So we went from uh, the the traditional round package that you see in the category today to a square cup. Um, And I really did that because we we are looking for any possible way that we can to um, make ourselves different and unique. And I felt that the square cup was something that wasn't really being done in the category and carried a lot of benefits with it. Um, we can fit a lot more square containers into a truck, for example. Um, a square container has a, a front, a back, a left, and a right. So when you put them on the shelf, you can be sure that the side of the label that you want to face forward is always facing forward. And that doesn't seem like a, a huge revelation, but when you're operating in a category full of round containers that basically spin on the shelf all day. Um, and you can harness that point of difference. There's a lot that you can do with that. And the packaging that, that we, that we have, um, utilizes that, that benefit, I think quite effectively 
with the color blocking that we do, um, the ingredients of, of the, or the images of the, of the real ingredients that we use, I think we try to send a lot of cues to our customers that this is a fresh product. I mean, we do say it right on the front and center, this hummus tastes fresh. Um, and you know, it was important that we communicated the, you know, the freshness and the points of difference and the value proposition to the consumer front and center and, and as clearly as possible. Yeah. I mean, I I think that that's, that's a super important part in branding is to tell your story, to show it and then tell it again and show it again. And I think when you look at your packaging, it definitely feels like it has that, that, that clean label look and, and the imagery on it really portrays that, that thought of, of, of fresh, fresh ingredients. And look, this, I mean, the shape of it is, is definitely different. I remember, um, you know, early on with, with the, with the Sabra hummus, with their idea of kind of garnishing the top of the hummus and then having that window through, that was so different than what anybody had seen out there. And, and, and shortly after you, you saw a lot of brands kind of copying that, that, that technique. So, you know, whatever you're, you're doing, if it continues to work, just be prepared for uh, other brands to copy it. That's for sure. <laughs> now, what, what have you seen as far, I mean, have you been out there long enough to see any type of, of immediate impact or ROI from this rebranding? Or what are people saying about it? What are the retailers saying about it? Well, definitely. Our velocities have picked up just from that packaging change in same stores. Um, it's, it's, our product just merchandises a lot better now. Uh, we, we were able to create a, a much nicer brand block with the packaging that we have now. And it really draws consumers over to our product and gets them interested and gets them, you know, reading the package and picking it up. And so from a consumer's perspective, yes, we've definitely seen an increase in velocity, um, in our stores, the stores that we work with. But retailers love that square packaging, and, and they love it because if you look at how many Sabras or how many round containers can I fit on in this four-foot shelf, and you compare that to how many square containers can I efficiently pack into that same space, you get like 30% more of ours. And so with a retailer, it's all about what's my revenue per square foot of shelf space, and if you're able to put more product and it sells at a similar velocity, it's just less work for their for their retail teams. So um, retailers love it. It's it's working with consumers and um, it's something that, as you said, as as we continue to have success with it, we know that um, we are running the risk of of being copied. And so we're constantly looking at you know what's working on this packaging what. What could we change? You know, what do we want to amplify? What should we take away? And we've got a lot of ideas and, and um, you know, uh, we're ready to iterate on that. And, and I think that's that's really exciting and some exciting things that you'll see from us um, in 2019. Yeah, that's great. I mean, congratulations on it. I mean, that's a big step for for any brand. And, uh, and I think you guys really did it and you really did it right. Thank you. Tell me what role um, social media has played, if any, in, in your brand's success. Um, it, it, it has, it, has it helped you on the retail of it? Has it helped build your brand? I mean, has it got consumers talking about what, what, what role has it played and how has it helped you? Um, yeah, social media for us is, a, is a really a great tool for us to connect directly with our consumer. And when I started at the farmer's market, I was connecting with our consumer every time I sold something. So, and that's a great way to start because you're selling directly to the person who's buying. They're tasting it right in front of you. You can understand what they like about it, what they would change. And so when that connection kind of stopped and, and we, I stopped going personally to farmer's markets, it was really important that we still had a channel of communication with our consumers. And I would say to, to, to this day, that is the most important thing that we get from our social media channels. Um, but beyond that, I think we're, we're starting to, um, leverage social media to deliver, to deliver coupons and, um, to do things like giveaways and, and really just drive overall brand awareness. Um, 
so yeah, it's, I would, social media, uh, there are a lot of brands that are more focused and, and I think have a lot more followers and, and are doing things in a different and, and better way than we are today. But, um, we've been in, in survival mode for, for the last four and a half years and just recently raised some, um, some growth funding. And it's, it's an area that I'm looking forward to really investing in and, and continuing to build out. Yeah, I mean, I think getting your story out there in social media is something that that consumers, especially the millennial generation, they they relate to it and they love brands that have that authenticity to them. Um, They're so tired of, of, of fake brands and so tired of big mega brands trying to be something that they're not. That they, they, they crave that, that, that authenticity of brands like yours. And I think you're going to see a lot of success as you begin to unfold that story um, to consumers. Hey, if you've, if you've followed any of my writings or any of my content that I develop, uh, you know that I'm, I'm huge on appetite appeal. Um, this is, you know, people eat with their eyes long before they ever taste anything. And, and, and you've done some great work on Instagram. One of the things that I've noticed is you've just developed, you know, delicious-looking, high-appetite-appeal photography that, that, that's, you know, it's beyond just that idea of, um, of, of dip this chip in, in the hummus. So was this part of your, of your social media strategy, or did this just kind of unfold from you being, you know, a chef, you know, at heart, or how, how, did, this, how did this come into play? A lot of it is really just what we are um, you know, reposting a lot of content that's sent to us or that we're tagged in. And, you know, there's a lot of very talented cooks and chefs and, you know, just everyday consumers who love, who love to cook out there. And, um, when you have a product like ours, that's so culinary focused and foodie oriented, when those foodies and culinarians get their hands on it, you know, it's exciting. And, so it's great for us to be able to see, you know, what, how are people using our products and the good ones, uh, we love to share. And, and that doesn't mean that we don't do any of our own content. Um, we've done this past year, we did a recipe guide where we took all six of our flavors and we created a unique recipe that was beyond just dip this chip, as you said. Um, we did a smoked chipotle quesadilla and a lemon garlic shrimp scampi featuring our recipes to, to really inspire consumers to, you know, push the boundaries of, of how they use our product as well. Um, and so, yeah, it's, I think just by nature of who I am, I have developed a product that chefs and foodies love because that's what I am and, and I love it. So um, those are the types of people, those are our early adopters that are attracted to what we're doing. And they're fortunately for us, pretty creative. And it's, it's, um, it's awesome that we, that we have a channel that we can, um, you know, show, showcase what they're doing on. Well, I mean, I'll tell you this, I mean, from a marketing and branding perspective, when you're, when you have a product that consumers are willing to develop user-generated content, in other words, they take the time to develop something and post it about your brand, you know you have something special because not, not all brands can do that. All brands want to do that, and they try to do it. Many times they try to incentivize consumers, hey, post something about our, our brand, uh, and it doesn't always work out that way. But when you have consumers that are spontaneously posting things, uh, recipes or pics of them enjoying your product, you know you have something special, and that's great. Congratulations on that. Thank you. We we really try to make our relationship with consumers in the digital space um, as non-transactional as possible. You know, we don't reach out and say, hey, promote our brand and we'll give you $100. Or, you know, we don't pay for promoted ads and, and all that stuff through influencers. And it's really just, Hey, you know, we love what you're doing and here's who we are. And 
if we can support you in any way, let us know. We'll we'd love to send you some product. Yeah, and, that, and that's what many brands don't get about social media is that that word, that little word that's in there called social. You know, and they keep, you know, <laughs> they look at it too much from a commercial perspective, and they try to treat it in the old way of advertising, which is pushing the message out. Whereas social media is really more conversational. And if that's what I'm hearing from you, I mean, you got that. You're you're on the right path with that for sure. So let's shift gears a little bit again. Um, we, we've talked a lot about your brand, where you came from, where where you where you're going. Uh, what what are some of the challenges that are in front of you right now? What are some of the major hurdles that you're you're experiencing? Well, I think when we get into a new store, a new chain, new retailer, it's always equal parts excitement and fear, and it's you use that fear to uh, work really hard to figure out how you're going to get the product off of the shelf, and that that's really the biggest challenge that that we have, and I think a lot of brands will tell you the same thing. Um, it's great to it's great to get your product onto the shelves at at Publix or or any any other retailer for that matter, but um, it's really about once you get in, what are you doing to get the product off the shelf and and you know, we're lucky to have a lot of um, a lot of support and a really strong foundation in a lot of the different areas of our business, whether it's operations or, or finance. Um, but, uh, you know, that allows us to really focus on the marketing and, and brand awareness and brand building piece. And um, it's the most exciting part of the business, but it's also the one that, you know, we are continuing to, to develop every day. So. I think selling product in the stores is our is our biggest is our biggest challenge. It's something that we're very successful at, but we're successful at it because it's a it's a top priority. Mm -hmm. That's a great segue into into my next question is, you know, what 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 drives you, Chris? What 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 keeps you up at night thinking and what gets you up in the morning excited uh, to go to work on your brand? Because I tell people this all the time. I've been in business for for 30 years at this and, and I still get up in the morning excited to come to work and love love what I'm doing. So what what drives you? What gets you excited um to get up in the morning? Luckily a lot of things. Um but it's it's kind of changed. I mean at the beginning as I mentioned as a chef, you know, what drives you or whatever what always drove me, what I got most excited about was um feeding someone and have them having them uh, describe what they're eating the way that I intended them to, to taste it or to experience it. And that was as a foodie, as a culinarian, you know, that's at the core of who I am. It's what I'm passionate about. And um, thank God for that, because that's a really that's that's the cornerstone of our business is flavor. And now, as we've grown, I mean, I think there's a lot more to be excited for. I, I think as I look into our future and we're having success now and I see our brand growing into a much larger, you know, national brand. And with that success comes a lot of opportunity to use our business to, you know, support our community and, and do good things in the world. And we haven't really done a whole lot of that yet, but it's something that you know. I, I look at companies like like Chobani or Patagonia, and and you know they, the founders of those companies must just be so fulfilled in their life because not only have they created a successful business and and brand, but they're also paying it forward and creating a legacy that that will live on forever. And 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 that's 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 a really exciting. Thing for me to think about today. Yeah. You know, you hit on something that, that, that's really it gets lost a lot of times. And I think it's so important that that idea that 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 you love seeing people enjoy your product and that that's a huge motivator for you. I mean, so many people out there, you know, they want to start a brand, they want to start a product and make buco money. They want to sell it or they want to become, you know, the biggest brand in this category or they want to do this and they're you know the goals and those are all great goals they're lofty goals but 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 
the idea of, of, of someone sitting down and tasting your product and it brings a smile to their face and they're there, wow, it was so good. I mean, that to me is, is kind of the essence of a brand like yours that, 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 that makes the difference. And, and you bring that, 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 that emotion, that human emotion, that human element to it that, that, that's not there for a lot of, of big brands. And, and, and I would encourage you, don't, don't, don't lose that aspect of it because there's a lot in this business that can just suck you in and, and get you distracted from what, what's, most, what's most important. And I think that's a, that's a, you know, I give you great credit for that because that's a, that's a super important part of what we do. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what, in that same vein of thought, what, what's next for you? What's next for your brand? I mean, what do you see happening in 2019 and, and, and beyond? Well, uh, certainly distribution growth. Um, we are looking to partner with more retailers, um, expand our geographic reach, and um, really bring what we do to more consumers. Um, that being said, all of our customers and, and retailers that we're working with now are, you know, constantly asking, "What's the next thing? You know, how else can we, how else can your brand show up in our store?" Um, and I have to be very cautious with that. Um, it's expensive to launch new products. Uh, it, it, we have a good product that in my opinion is under distributed and we could do more to continue to get it into more people's hands. And, and so, you know, I first and foremost, am I'm focused on taking what we have and just getting it out there to more people. Um, and that being said, you know, we're always looking at different packaging formats, playing around with other products, other types of products that would, you know, pair, go, go along with what we were already doing and fit into our process, things that we can make fundamentally better the same way that we've done with hummus, uh, because of the ingredients and the processing that we have access to. And so, you know, I mean, you can imagine some of those things, guacamole, salsa. Um, I do want to be careful to not just kind of go down the same path as a lot of the other brands in the category. So, you know, we've got a lot of things that we're playing with, a lot of different products in in development. Um, but I'm not quite sure that, that 2019 is the year that you'll see any of those showing up quite yet. I think we're going to be a little bit more focused on telling our story, as you said, about our brand and building our brand and, and, and distributing our product a little bit more widely. Well, I'm super excited to see um, where your brand goes and what the future holds for you. Uh, before, before we end the show, is there anything that, that, that I missed or anything that, that you wanted to cover off on about your brand that, that we didn't cover off on? No, this has been a great interview. The questions have been you know, perfect. And, you know, I, I feel like uh, your listeners are really going to get a good idea for me and, 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 and the brand. And, you know, this is just really appreciate the time and, and, and thought and effort that you put into this. Well, Chris, it's been, uh, it's been great having you on the show. I really appreciate you, you, you coming on. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jamie. This is Jamie Allabach, and you've been listening to the Peppered Podcast, where I bring season talk for food and beverage marketing and brand professionals. Let's grow your brand together.